0: Coming up... I'm surprised that something like that could happen in in this neighborhood, which is really not completely isolated. It's very disturbing, you know, in general. So I just hope that justice takes place.
1: For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. An emotional day in a Connecticut courtroom as a convicted killer is sentenced to prison.
0: This was a man that was hiding in plain sight living his normal life for four years while this case sat cold while being a half a mile from the police department.
2: And in Colorado, a trial date has been set for an Arizona dentist accused of killing his wife on a hunting trip to Zambia. The bartender telling officials one night when Rudolph was talking to Milleron, he loudly stated, quote, I killed my expletive wife for you. The alleged
0: confession, a key piece of the government's case,
2: Will, this first story is one that was covered on our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles, a long time ago, all the way back on episode 51, titled A Murder in Simsbury. Tell us about the case. What happened back in September of 2014?
1: Well, 54-year-old Melissa Milan of Simsbury, Connecticut, a mother of two 12- and 15-year-old children, also a triathlete, was out for a run one night. She was wearing a headlamp. It was a cool September evening. And while out for a run, she was attacked brutally and and randomly, it seemed. She was stabbed in the chest and discovered and pronounced dead that night.
0: Police are calling this death untimely. This road where she was found sits next to the Farmington Canal Heritage Trail, a popular uh, trail for runners and bikers. Police believe Milan was out jogging when this all happened last night.
1: Matt Caron is a reporter at Fox 61 in Hartford and tells us more about Melissa and what happened back in September of 2014.
0: She is a well-respected, well-known member of the Simsbury community. She's 54 years old at the time when this happens, and she is an insurance executive uh, from Mass Mutual, a well-known insurance company, and of course, Connecticut being uh, the insurance capital of the country uh, in many respects. So you have this, uh, you know, very well-known family, and this very well-known mother you know, loving, caring, and uh, this horrible tragedy ends up befalling her. Simsbury is a rather affluent community here in uh, Connecticut. Um, It's a quiet suburb, and this was like a regular night, November twentieth, two 2014, kind of getting cold. Um, It was in the evening hours. And she was just jogging along this trail like she did many nights.
1: But following that night, the case didn't immediately or even in the weeks, months, and years to come didn't lead to any suspects. In 2017, the Connecticut Cold Case Unit got involved. But it wasn't until September of 2018, four years after her murder, that a potential suspect turned up.
2: You said the suspect turned up. He quite literally turned up. He walked into a police station
1: and confessed. That's right. 27-year-old William Leverett walked into the Simsbury police station on September nineteenth, two 2018, four years after her murder.
0: There is video of William Winters Leverett as he is walking in to the lobby of the Simsbury Police Department. And he's carrying with him what looks to be a bunch of books. And of course, he's got his cell phone with him. And he's in the lobby for about seven minutes. He goes up to the dispatch window. He introduces himself. He says, I'm here to discuss uh, the murder of Melissa Milan. And of course, it piques the dispatcher's interest. Uh, So she says, take a seat on the bench, sir. And he does. Seven minutes later, a police officer finally comes out into the lobby and greets them. And then you see him being led away into an interrogation room. It's a very powerful video. And when you see him enter the lobby, he walks in with, uh, with Colette and Michael Trzinski, who are his pastors from an at-home church that he attended. And they were very instrumental, the Trzinskis, in turning his conscience. And ultimately, helping him realize that what he really needed to do was confess.
1: Police reported that during that interview, during that confession, William Leverett told him that he went to a required meeting earlier that day. It was actually a sex offender support group. And that stemmed from a Colorado case. He was a registered sex offender. He had been convicted of sexual assault in Colorado earlier in a separate case altogether. But he went home from that that meeting and then decided to go out for a drive. And that's when he spotted Melissa Milan during that interview and confession with the Simsbury police. They say he actually told them he didn't know how to talk to his then girlfriend about his sex offender status and told them he thought killing Milan would quote, make it all go away.
2: And then following this confession, police actually
1: let Leverett walk out of the station that night. Why did they let him leave? And that surprised people when they heard about it eventually. But in terms of the investigation and what police were required to do or what they believed they they needed to do, they wanted to make sure they had everything that they needed for an arrest and ultimately a conviction. So that's right. They let William Leverett walk out of the police station. They certainly kept eyes on him. And then not long after that, he led them to the evidence that they needed.
0: He brought them to the weapon. He told them exactly how he did it and why he did it.
1: Leverett also led police to the bloody glove he was wearing the night of the murder. He had hidden it in the beams of a barn on his grandparents' property. He also showed them confession letters he'd written the night of the murder.
2: So William Leverett was then charged with the murder of Melissa Milan. What happens from there?
1: Bring us up to speed. Well, once he had a public defender, he initially pleaded not guilty, which is quite common, even though he had actually made a confession. But, but he pled not guilty, and it was looking like the case could go to trial. It's been years uh, since this has finally gotten to a point where, where it might have gone to a jury. But then just this year, he changed his plea to guilty. And he was sentenced earlier this week to 35 years in prison with an additional seven years of special parole. The prosecutor in the case said Leverett's autism diagnosis, well, didn't excuse the act of what he did, was taken into account for the recommended sentencing. She said the confession and the circumstances of the case were also considered. Leverett also spoke at the sentencing hearing, speaking to the family of Melissa Milan.
2: I would like to say to all of you how truly sorry I am for the pain I have caused your family over the past several years. I can never forgive myself,
1: but hopefully this sentence brings you some amount of justice and closure. The prosecutor in this case called the crime, quote, sad and scary.
0: While there's no doubt that he did this, I still do not understand why he
1: did this. Nor do I think the defendant understands why he did this. And Reed, as you mentioned, we did cover this on our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles. You can hear episode 51 on June 1st, 2020. We covered this case called a murder in Simsbury. Reed, we have an update on a case you covered back in February involving an Arizona dentist accused of killing his wife on a hunting trip. Before we get to the news, remind us what happened back in 2016.
2: Well, Larry Rudolph and his wife, Bianca Rudolph, went on this hunting trip to Zambia in Africa. This was something they'd done before. They go on hunting trips to different countries around Africa and have a goal of hunting a different animal. This trip, the goal was reportedly to kill a leopard. They brought two guns with them, a Revington 375 rifle and a Browning 12-gauge shotgun. And then towards the end of the trip... Bianca ended up shot in the chest and she died. Now, the story that we would get from Larry and what he told officials in Zambia at the time is that Bianca accidentally shot herself while trying to pack the shotgun into its case. And at the time, in 2016, Bianca's death was ruled an accident by officials in Zambia.
1: But at some point, that version of events comes
2: into question, right? Right. Federal investigators in the United States have been trying to piece together what happened Since And there were some red flags raised from the start. According to federal records, the consular chief who interacted with Larry Rudolph following the incident said that Larry was, quote, livid that they were taking photographs of Bianca's body. He insisted uh, on cremating his wife in Africa before returning home, and he actually paid in cash to rush that process. And at some point, a friend of Bianca's notified the FBI that Larry had been having an affair at the time of the incident. And then once Larry returned home... He reportedly immediately began the process of claiming her life insurance policy and reportedly cashed out close to $5 million. So there are all these different details floating around, and eventually that led up to, at the end of last year, five years after Bianca's death,
1: Larry Rudolph being arrested and charged with her murder. And so what else do we know at this point about why investigators in the U.S. reached a different conclusion on Bianca Rudolph's manner of death than police in Zambia? Well, as I mentioned, this is a federal case and it's being
2: handled in Colorado and a medical examiner in Colorado used photographs of Bianca's body as well as reports that were filed in Zambia to make a separate determination as to her cause and manner of death. And what he found was that it would have been nearly impossible for her to have reached the trigger of the shotgun herself if, if she wanted to and noted that the shot came from at least two to three and a half feet away. So, Reed, what's the latest news here? Last Friday, our partner station 12 News in Phoenix reported that Larry Rudolph is now scheduled to go to trial in July. And not only that, but Rudolph's girlfriend, a woman named Lori Milleron, has been charged as well. Records show that a former employee of Larry Rudolph's told federal investigators that shortly before that trip back in 2016 to Zambia, Rudolph's girlfriend had given him an ultimatum of one year to sell his dental office and leave Bianca. We also know, according to court records, that that the two, Larry Rudolph and Lori Milleron, have been living together in Arizona since the weeks after Bianca's death. And so she's now charged with comforting and assisting Rudolph to hinder his trial and punishment, as well as multiple counts of providing false testimony. In response to the charges, her attorney told 12 News: quote, Miss Milleron did not commit any crime and completely denies the government's charges. She's a hardworking grandmother who the government has falsely charged without knowing the facts. She looks forward to being exonerated. But the shame in this case is that she is even forced to defend herself against allegations based totally on rumors and gossip, end quote. And
1: Reid, are there any other developments as we look ahead to this trial than coming up in July?
2: Yeah, we've learned one other really surprising detail from federal court records. Uh, They say that a tip from an Arizona bartender is also going to be playing a pretty big role in this case. According to those records, shortly after Rudolph was arrested, that bartender told the FBI that one night Rudolph was talking to Lori Miller the girlfriend at a restaurant and loudly stated, quote, I killed my effing wife for you. And the bartender said that they immediately told some of their colleagues and that there was a family nearby that allegedly overheard the statement as well. So we'll see how that comes into play at the trial in July. Larry
1: Rudolph and Lori Milleron are scheduled to go to trial on July 11th. All right, Reed, we'll keep our listeners posted on, on what happens once that trial gets underway and, and the outcome. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the Daily Crime. We're here five days a week, Monday through Friday. And be sure to check out our newest podcast locked inside a co-production with twelve news KPNX in Phoenix, Arizona, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For the Daily Crime, along with Reed Redman, I'm Will Johnson.